Good morning, Oak Ridge. It's nice to be back at Oak Ridge, but uh, I'm not with Oak Ridge because all of us are scattered right now and practicing social distancing. We miss you and we love you. My wife Kathy is here with me and uh, she is the audience. I have told her to represent you well as best she can. So when I make a good point, she's going to stand up and cheer and whistle and say amen. And when I get dull and uninteresting, she's going to nod off and sleep for a while. The Lord is risen. And I can hear you saying in reply, the Lord is risen indeed. There is no greater message of hope than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now, more than ever, we need hope. With the economic uh, problems that come from COVID-19 and the physical threats and the social dislocation, we are troubled. Someone has said, who would have thought that daylight savings time would be followed by the twilight zone? We see empty streets and shuttered stores and face masks. When will it all end? The Lord only knows. Today I want to talk to you about eight reasons for the resurrection. To answer the question, why the resurrection? And I trust this will encourage and bless you as it has blessed me. Reason number one, because God said it would happen. There was a man who kept complaining about his bad health and predicting that he was going to die. People gradually became oblivious to his moaning and groaning and they started to, they started to ignore him. Finally, he died. And so he had arranged to have written on his gravestone for all his friends to see, I told you I was sick. It is easy to predict that one day you're going to die. It's a much different thing to predict that you will rise from the dead. And that is precisely what Jesus did. Three times in the book of Mark, he prophesies his own resurrection. And Jesus said of himself in Mark 8:31, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Not only that, but in the New Testament, the, in the Old Testament, the prophets said that Messiah would rise again from the dead. Here is an example in Psalm 16, verse 9 and 10. Therefore my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. You will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. King David said this, and it's obvious that he was not speaking about himself because he died and his body did see decay in the tomb. So this is a messianic psalm and he's talking about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and about his death and resurrection. A thousand years before Jesus came, David was talking about Messiah's resurrection. Isaiah is another prophet who 700 years before Christ mentioned the Messiah and his resurrection. In verse 10 of Isaiah 53, it says, He will see his offspring and prolong his days. And in verse 11, After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. 
It's talking not only about Jesus' death, but about his resurrection. You see, God staked his reputation on the resurrection, and he put it in his word. And Jesus did too. And it happened. Why? To prove that God says what he's going to do, and then he does it. And he does it every time. The angel at the tomb said, he is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Imagine if it had not happened. We have this man, Jesus, telling his disciples he's going to rise, and then he doesn't. Would we have any good reason to trust him on any of the other things he said? None. There would be no gospel. There would be no Christian faith. But he was true to his word. God was true to his word. Believe it then, when God speaks, he raised Jesus from the dead. Reason number two, to prove the identity of the Son of God. Romans chapter 1 verse 4 states this regarding Jesus. Who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. God gave witness concerning his son by raising him to life again. As Jesus hung on the cross, his enemies gloated and mocked him as an imposter. When he died, they reckoned he was gone forever, never thinking he would come back to life again. But God raised him from the dead, and he is Lord. This is a cardinal fact of the gospel. You cannot be saved unless you believe this. Romans 10 and 9 says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. But there is more. Reason number three, to prove our sins are paid for. The the resurrection was to prove that Jesus had indeed finished his work of paying for our sins when he died. At his last breath, Jesus said, it is finished. What was he talking about? What was the work that he came to do? We go back to Isaiah again for that answer, and we will read it in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 10. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. It says here that the Lord makes God makes Jesus' life a sin offering or a guilt offering. In the guilt offering, sin is being viewed as debt, moral debt. These days, there's economic hardship, and people are facing mounting debts, personal debts, physical debts, monetary debts. But monetary debt is small compared to the great moral debt that we owe to God because of our sins. We are in debt to God. And what is the payment for that debt? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. So when Jesus died, he was paying the price for us. But his words, it is finished, were not the only way God showed that the price was paid. He raised Jesus from the dead to prove that he was satisfied with the completed payment for sin. That is what Romans 4 and 25 says. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Now, 
what does justification mean? Here's an illustration. When we pass through the border, back in the days when we could actually go across the border, the immigration officer asks for my nationality. I say Canadian. Then he might say, do you have any document to justify your claim to be Canadian? So what do I do? I produce my passport. He examines it and then gives me the nod to enter. So justification means proof. The death of Christ is the payment for my sins, and the resurrection is the proof that it happened, the proof that it was accomplished and that the payment was completed. So how do I know my sins are paid for in full? The resurrection. God is satisfied with Christ offered, and he has given me full proof of it. Now, justification also means that I've been declared completely free of the debt. There's nothing left to pay. Once when my family was in a hotel and we were in transit, we stayed the night and we had to go down to the checkout at the front desk in order to get a piece of paper. And because we had that piece of paper, we were actually able to get on the bus and, and, and go to the airport. And that paper was the justification for us being able to use the bus services. And when the guy who was putting us on the bus saw that paper, he said, yep, you're paid for, you've, you've cleared all your debts, you're, you're on the bus. You see, there was nothing more to pay. And we'd be declared righteous. There's nothing more to pay, and that's what justification means. And so Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 and 17 says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. But praise God, he has been raised. Reason number four. Resurrection proves that Jesus' offer of life, of eternal life, is valid. It was a demonstration of life-giving power. Four times in John chapter 6, Jesus promises that he will raise the from the dead those who have trusted in him. And we're going to look at one of those verses in John chapter 6 and verse 40. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So imagine a seeker in Jesus' time comes to Jesus and says, I believe in you. I trust you to give me eternal life, just as you said. And then Jesus shares with him about the cross, as he shared with his disciples. But then he tells him, I'm going to die on a cross and be buried. But that's the end of it. So the best you can do is visit my tomb. How thoroughly could that aspiring disciple accept the message of eternal life when he's talking to a savior who is going to be dead. My leader promises life, but he remains in the tomb and subject to death. How would that be a strong and vibrant faith? Indeed, it would be a weak and sad faith. Yet millions of people in other religions across this world accept this sad fact the ones they trust and worship and hold up as great saviors are dead in a tomb. And they make pilgrimage to those tombs and they worship, but they're worshiping a, a leader who is dead. Dear friends, our leader is not dead. Jesus is alive forevermore. He is risen 
from the dead. And Jesus, by rising from the dead, has proven that he has the goods. He has the real stuff. He has eternal life. Jesus said, because I live, you shall live also. Reason number five. The resurrection shows that there is a future for our physical bodies. They will be raised from the dead as Jesus was raised from the dead. This is our hope. You know, there's a wonderful physicality about the Christian faith. It is not talking just about ideas. It is not religious platitudes. It is physical. It is physical. It is a real faith based upon real facts and lived out in the physical realm. Today we are in the throes of a deadly pandemic. Day after day we hear the swelling numbers of those who have been infected and even more chilling statistics of those who have died. Lots of body bags, lots of coffins, lots of tears and sorrow. You know, God made a perfect physical universe and he made our physical bodies also. When Adam sinned, the curse of death descended not only upon our souls, but upon our bodies as well. It says, as in Adam, all die, 1 Corinthians 15 and 22. Many people today accept the teaching that death is a natural part of life. We, we, we are to embrace death as we embrace life because it's just natural. The Bible affirms that it is not. The Bible says that death is a curse. It is an ugly intrusion on life. It is an enemy. At the beginning, there was life without death. And the Bible says that at the end of history, there will be life with no death once again. But now we live under the curse, and Jesus came to free us from the curse of death. What a wonderful verse 1 Corinthians 15 and 22 is. We'll read it. It says, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each one in his turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. What a wonderful promise this is. You see, God has made provision for our physical bodies as well as for our souls and for our spirits. Now, how does Jesus rescue our bodies? Well, Jesus became a human being like you and me. He took a body, and in that body, he went to the cross, and he suffered, bled, and died. But praise God, he rose physically from the dead. It was not a mystical thing. It was not an imaginary thing. It was, just, it was not something that we just speak but didn't happen. He was seen by over 500 witnesses at one time. He was heard and touched by many. He ate food with his disciples. In fact, when he returns, it will be in that same physical body where he appeared to the, the uh, disciples. And key for all of this was the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus said this referring, referring to his own body. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it again. This gospel is not just about souls and spirits, those non-material parts, but it's about our bodies as well. The first part of my medical career, my medical career was spent treating the body, examining the body, doing surgeries, prescribing medicine in an effort to heal and sustain 
the well-being of people. Now, the Lord does infinitely more than that. He raises the dead to life. How I wished I could have done that. I remember one night when there was a measles epidemic at Chitokoloki, and over the course of that night and the next day, 10 little babies died because of measles. How I wished that I could have resurrection life, but I couldn't. Only Jesus could do that. The Lord does more than just take care of our body. He raises it from the dead. And this is the glorious truth of the resurrection. And for all believers, it is a new body that we will receive, a body which is like Christ's body, immortal and glorious. And let's read 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 57. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What promises for the body? So the resurrection is the sign that the curse of death will be broken and we will live forever in heaven. There's a lot that we do not know about heaven, our future home. The Bible doesn't tell us everything, but we do know this. It is a physical place for a physical people. I know that my Lord in a physical body is in heaven today and enjoying fellowship with those who have died in, in faith and have gone before. And when he, he returns, he's going to come physically to this world. And when I meet him, I'm going to see him face to face. And my eyes will see a physical person. His arms will embrace me in a giant hug as he says, welcome home. Every believer in Christ needs to embrace that hope. We're going to see Jesus face to face, physical to physical, and enjoy that physical place he's preparing for us in heaven forever. Reason number six, the resurrection is to comfort us in the loss of loved ones in Christ. Let's read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 to 18. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are alive, who are still alive, and who are left till the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, 
with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. The Thessalonians were concerned that some of their loved ones in Christ had already died, and they wondered what their fate would be. And so Paul here writes under the direction of the Holy Spirit to encourage them that there will be a grand reunion with loved ones when the resurrection comes. God has made us as social creatures. It is difficult for us to practice social distancing at this time because we are social and we miss the contact with friends and, and with loved ones. And the Lord knows how sorely we miss those who have died. He shared in this grief when he mourned at the tomb of Lazarus. It says, poignantly, Jesus wept. When he rose from the dead, it was the proof that all those who trust in him will rise as well to join loved ones. Heaven will be a place of community where we, where we will converse and interact socially forever. No more social distancing. I look forward to a good talk with Peter or with Paul, and I look forward to get to know my grandfather, the one I never met on earth. And so we will always be with the Lord. We will be there forever. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. It is the comfort afforded by the resurrection. Reason number seven. The reason that the resurrection assures us that the judge of all is alive. And I want to read this verse with you. Acts chapter 17, verse 31. In the past, God overlooked much ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. Truth be told, I never saw the full significance of this verse until I was preparing this sermon for you. And this is what God actually taught me in this last week. The resurrection, according to this verse, is proof that Jesus will judge the world. The resurrection does not just include the redeemed, but also unbelievers. There's going to be a second part of the resurrection, where at the final day, all unbelievers are going to be raised from the dead to stand physically before the throne of God. And Jesus will be on that throne to judge them. Dear friend, you don't want to be at that judgment. You don't want to be at that court because it will mean eternal condemnation. The judge is alive, and the Bible says he's standing right at the door, ready to enter. So why not today trust Jesus to be your Savior, and you will be absent from that judgment because you will be present in life with the Lord Jesus Christ. Reason number eight. Finally, the resurrection is the encouragement for us to serve the Lord with all our hearts. I want to read to you a part from 1 Corinthians 15. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, 
if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then to the last verse of this section, verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now, it's interesting to note that this chapter on resurrection is in the service part of the book of 1 Corinthians. There are other parts of Corinthians when he, when he deals with other matters, but when he gets to the last part of 1 Corinthians, it's about Christian service. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 14 are about God giving gifts for service to the church. And in chapter 16, it's about servants of the Lord being named and about their various jobs and, and, and service as they seek to honor the Lord and walk with him. And then, tucked in between these chapters on Christian service, you have chapter 15 about the resurrection. Why put this chapter there? Because Paul is using this message of the resurrection to encourage us in service. Now there is a verse in, in this chapter which is quite an unusual verse. Verse 29. Now if there is no resurrection... What will those do who are baptized for the dead? What does that mean? Baptized for the dead. Now, baptism, amongst other things, means a commitment to live for Jesus and to serve him. We are dying to self so that we can live for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what baptism means. My wife and I saw a movie the other day on World War I. As men died in the trenches on the front lines and their bodies were carried to the back of the line, they were passed by new recruits coming up to take their place on the front line. The new reinforcements were being baptized for the dead to take the place of those who have died. When Kathy and I first went to Zambia as missionaries many years ago, no sooner had we arrived than there was a, tra a, a tragic death of a young Canadian missionary in a road traffic accident. His name was Fraser McKenzie, perhaps known to some of you. While attending his funeral, I had the distinct impression that I was there to follow in his steps, to take his place. I was being baptized for the dead. If there's no resurrection, then all this service for Jesus is utterly futile. Paul says, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? What have I gained if the dead are not raised? But take courage. There is great meaning in serving the Lord. Even today, when there is social isolation, there is work to do for the Lord Jesus. Share the gospel. Today as never before, people are cut off from many of the distractions of life and are primed to listen. You know, you can share the gospel with a distancing of six feet. You can still speak. Grow your faith and the faith of your family. Share with your children. Get the Bible open and read from it and discuss spiritual things with your family. And above all, 
pray like never before, not only for the healing of the sick, but for the salvation of the lost. The Lord is risen. And I hear you saying in reply, the Lord is risen indeed. God bless you.